Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are two people who have chained behind microphones, Tiff. Hey. And Dan. Hello. So before we dive into the show, just a quick reminder of where you can reach out to us. We're on Facebook and Twitter at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. And you can chat more about our discussion topics over at our BGG Guild, number 2077. Also, if you're looking to lend a hand with the cast, reviews on iTunes and hearts on board game links are always appreciated. Also, we want to give you a heads up on the winter giveaway we're currently having. We have one copy of Medina and one copy of La Isla up for grabs. So if you're interested, check the podcast feed and listen to the episode titled The Winter Giveaway Minisode for more details on how to enter and how to win. So now on to the goods for today's show. We're very excited to be joined later in the show by Mr. Stephen Bonacore, the president of Stronghold Games. We'll be grilling him a little later, and then he'll join us at the end of the show for some holiday fun, our nonsensical secret Santa. But before we get into all of that, let's go ahead and start by talking about what we've been playing. So Tiff, what have you been getting to the table? I got a bunch of games in this last week or so. I got a chance to play Temporum, which recently came out. It's by Donald X. Vaccarino. It is like a Dominion weight game. It looks a lot like Dominion. It's through Rio Grande games, so it kind of has this a similar look to the cards and the art. It's about time travel and manipulating a timeline in order to get all of your crown pieces to the end of the fourth age. The way it sets up is you put one card in the first age, two cards in the second age, etc. And the cards let you do different things, score cards, draw cards, play cards, that kind of a thing. You, and you use the cards to move your your pieces to that fourth age. So it's kind of like a race game, which I wasn't really expecting it to be. Like when you think time travel, I race didn't come to mind. Yeah. Just looking at it. I wasn't, I wouldn't expect that either, but yeah. So the cards that are available to you are the ones that are on the current timeline. You have these little, like, I think they're supposed to be clock hand pieces that on your turn, you go to one of the cards and then you can move the time path with that piece the one that's right below the card that you're on. So if you're in the second age, you can move the piece to the third age. So it changes the timeline and makes the available spaces different. So it's kind of interesting. And for for a time travel game, it's not as brain burnery as some of the other ones that I've played are. Like, I love Legacy Gears of Time, but it really melts your brain by the time you're done playing it. This one is lighter than that. It was pretty fun. Yeah. I give it an okay rating. Mm. It had a component issue that bothered me. And what's that? So the little time hand pieces that show the timeline, and I think there's a thread on it on BGG, but um, they're really small, and I think they intended those to be bigger. and It just looks weird on the board. It doesn't feel right. Oh, okay. Um, one of the component choices that they made that was kind of cool is that the meeples, there are dude meeples and lady meeples. So that's kind of nice. How do they distinguish those two? The dude ones look like they have a hat on. Oh, okay. And the lady ones look like they're wearing a skirt. Ooh. It was an interesting choice, and, and it was fun. I would play it again. Yeah. I don't know where I fall on it. I mean, I'm not that jazzed about it. It's interesting to hear that an okay rating from you. I would try it if it came up, but I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm pursuing anything like that. I don't feel like I need to buy it because the people that I'd play it with are the people that I just played it with that own it. But it's worth your while if you're into kind of card play. It's not the most thematic game in the whole world, but it gives you that feeling of manipulating the timeline well enough that if you like that theme, it's probably worth checking it out. Yeah, the Dominion aesthetic just doesn't really do it for me, and I think I'm a little 
I'm like biased ahead of time about it. So I need to like break that perception and, and give it a shot maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think the color scheme is a little drab, but other than that, I think it looks okay. You know, I've gotten a lot of the games that we've talked about before to the table. We played a four-player game of Hyperborea, which was fun. Um, we played some more Linko or Abluxin, depending on what you want to call it. Diamonds, things like that. But uh, one of the new games that I got to the table, it's not a new game, but it's new for me because I picked it up. I got a five-player game of Cosmic Encounter in. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I had never played it, and I bought it on a whim because my game group outside of the league does well with kind of more take that social games. So I kind of got suckered in. I was listening to a bunch of reviews and that led me to read more reviews. And I just got it stuck in my head and was like, the only way I'm going to get this out of my head is if I buy it. So I went ahead and picked it up and finally got it to the table. So Cosmic Encounter is a very take that like social game above the table. Uh, Mechanically speaking, it's really simple. You have five planets in front of you and each of them have little colony ships on them. Um, You have a limited amount for the game, and each turn what you're going to do is draw a card, and that will tell you basically who you're attacking for the turn. You will then designate a certain number of your ships to attack somebody else's planet, and you have these cards in your hand, and it's kind of like a war mechanic where highest number wins, but before you, you each choose a card, the attacker and the defender, but before you do that you can call for allies on offense and defense. So basically, you can get people to pair up with you, and each side has certain benefits. But basically, if you win um, as an attacker, you get to colonize somebody else's planet. And the game will be played until somebody scores five points, which each foreign colony you have is worth a point. The really unique part of the game is the combination of aliens that you can have. So there's a gazillion aliens in this game, especially with the expansions. Um, And each one has their own really powerful action. They break the game in in one way or another. And the whole mixture of all these aliens together is really what gives this very basic game a lot of teeth. And it's supposed to be a very take that and aggressive game, but we didn't quite have that experience. We all had fun with it. It's I can see why people like it. I definitely want to play it some more. Definitely play it with different people and and different aliens, because that's obviously the draw is the 50 different races you can get just in the base game and the the hundred that are available through expansions. It really wasn't what I was expecting, though. It wasn't as take that. We ended in a three-way tie, which I'm sure if any listeners out there who love Cosmic Encounter, they're probably rolling their eyes at me. I don't think we were playing it all that well. I was going to say, it sounds like you guys were super nice to each other. Yeah, I just didn't see as many opportunities to be aggressively take that. And I kind of got worried that we were playing it wrong we, we started playing it and i was like this is nothing like what i've heard so i was like rereading the rule book and checking everything i'm pretty sure we were playing it correctly i just maybe it was our aliens combination they weren't as aggressive um or maybe we're just super passive people i don't know but <laughs> it's it just like i didn't have as much opportunity to be like screwing over my friends and stuff we were all kind of like okay we'll we'll jump in and then once somebody had like three or four points we stopped negotiating with them because they were getting too close to winning, but we still ended up, I don't know, it was weird. And my my group played this, we played it with like seven players or something ridiculous. I have the, all the expansions, of course, and um, they, I think five out of the seven liked it, but we had a lot of like alliances going on where two people would team up or three people would team up. Did you see any of that when you played? No, and that's what I was worried about. Oh. So I, I thought that would happen, but literally... The first three turns, when people called for attackers or, like, support for allies, everyone just said, I'll ask everyone. 
And then the defender would be like, I'll ask everyone too. And I was like, this doesn't seem like how things are supposed to be going. But that's hmm. what we did. We just like opened up negotiations to, to everyone all the time. And maybe it just wasn't right for the group or maybe we were trying to feel it out. I definitely want to try it again and see if that happens. I don't know. Maybe we just need more of a conflicting group. I, <laughs> I mean, my group isn't super aggressive, but I mean, when when put into that situation, they'll usually at least team up all against me. So yeah, you you need to have at least a couple players in there that people are willing to screw over, probably. Yeah, I'm gonna take a look at some threads and things like that. Maybe there's a look for some like aliens, or maybe if anyone's listening and they have suggestions because they love Cosmic Encounter, write in to us podcast at nonsenseschoolgamers.com. Give me some suggestions on maybe how I can make this more like how I think it should be played. Maybe there's an alien or something that'll, I don't know, spark aggression. (laughs) That could be. I mean, the aliens are a big deal and can definitely change how the game gets played. So yeah, so we had fun with Cosmic Encounter. I'm looking forward to playing it more. But yeah, we'll see see how that goes on a a second and third play. Uh, Dan, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I got a chance to play Medieval Academy which is a game that has not been released here in the U.S. Uh, I got it from our friendly neighbors to the north at my new favorite uh, board game store, boardgamebliss.com. There's a plug. <laughs> so what Medieval Academy is, it's a it's a drafting game, but the way it's kind of twisted is that there are these seven tracks. They're little placards that you arrange on the table, and each one of these tracks has markers for each of the players and you're going to be moving your marker along these different tracks to score points you take on the role of a squire trying to train and acquire the skills necessary to become i guess a knight of the realm or something along those lines but what you're going to do is each round there's six rounds in the game you're going to deal out five cards to each player Um, this game plays i think up to five players so what you're going to do is there's six rounds in the game And each round there's a draft prior to um, the playing of the cards. So you're going to draft five different cards. And on your turn you're going to play four of those. These cards have different uh, graphics and illustrations on them that correspond to the seven placards that are on the center of the board. And they're numbered two through five. So starting with the first player you're going to place down a card. So let's say I played down the three of knight or whatever the knight board's called i apologize chivalry something along those lines what i would do is i would take my marker on the knight board and i would move it up three spots the next player then proceeds plays a card and what you'll do is you'll play four of the five cards that you acquired Um, at the end of the round of the seven placards there are certain ones that score uh, during certain rounds so the person in the lead for some of the placards will score points uh, based on the the different abilities there. Some of the placards want you to not be either second to last or last place, otherwise you'll get negative points. It's a cool back and forth. The um it's a, it's a very simple drafting game, but the actual playing, the timing of the cards and the movement along the tracks and deciding which tracks you want to focus on on the different placards, it's it's really inter- interesting. It's a very cool game. I like it a lot. We've only played the base version. There's actually two sides to the placards where the more advanced. And then there's like four or five different variants um, that you can play uh, using different tokens and things like that. So all in all, I think it's a it's a really good game. It's something that has worked well with our family. Uh, even my mom played. I think my mom won. And she really enjoyed it. It's just a very lighthearted game. I could see it being in that kind of Spiel des Jahres kind of talk because it's just that perfect weight 
which is simple to learn, simple to play mechanics. Yeah, I, I got the chance to play it, again, just the base game. But I, I'm really looking forward to taking this to my middle school board game group because they love Sushi Go, and I think this is like a nice step up from that. It's one of those games where it's like, oh, that's too simple. It's going to be stupid. And then you play it, and you're like, well, adding those tracks just adds a tension that is interesting and keeps the game going. I like it a whole lot. I do too. I, I want this game. I've been looking everywhere for it, but I can't seem to find a copy. It's a lot of fun. I love drafting, and it takes drafting and adds that extra element with the boards, and I really like jostling for position. So far, I've only played two games, and I haven't quite explored all the strategies. I do think that the other sides of those boards are going to be necessary at some point because there's only so many things to do. The randomness and the card draft always helps keep things fresh though but i'm just having a good time and i still haven't won yet in two plays i've played terribly so i'm always looking forward to getting better yeah man always gets stuck with the the beggar the guy that gives you minus oh. 10 points at the end both so. times i don't know how it, i don't know i know how you don't play beggar you don't pay cards. attention to him <laughs> i do i did play beggar cards the last game that we played but i just the the princess track or whatever it's called always messes me up because i never want to invest that much in her even though it is like a free card it's like a free turn but i want points so (laughs) i don't know i guess i need to balance my priorities she's important the first time i ever played i stayed ahead on that track the whole entire game and i think i won because of it because i was able to move my guy ahead of everybody else like at the very end it's basically a free card it's basically like you're playing five cards instead of four um at the end of it but I, i definitely agree with what you said it's a step up from some of the lighter drafting games like Sushi Go, Fairy Tale, things like that. And like Matt mentioned as well, it's just the, the different elements that are added on the, the board itself. The, the timing of the cards, because you're jockeying for, for position with the other players on each of the placards, you know, if I play my four and I move ahead of you, but then Matt plays a two at his next turn, then he's in the lead. So you kind of got to understand what's going on in the draft, kind of remembering the different cards that have been passed, and when you want to kind of time your play. So I, I really like that part of it. Yeah, I'm hoping that either gets an international reprint or gets picked up and sent over here sometime soon. It seems like it's been pretty popular, so. Yeah. Tiff, anything else cool? Um, I also got to play Waggle Dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I've talked about how I, I uh, backed that on Kickstarter, and it's worker placement with dice, so it's exciting that way, and it's all about making honey. Uh, I like that the game, you can adjust the length of the game by how much honey you have to produce to win the game, so it's just a race to get to five or seven or nine honey. So during the game, you roll your dice, and then you take turns placing the dice on these different cards that give you different actions, like adding combs or using eggs to hatch more dice bees collecting nectar and rearranging things and then they're also queen bee cards they're cheaty cards that let you change dice faces and stuff like that and there's nectar in six colors you need four in a comb to make a honey and that is probably the most interesting part of the game because each color is a different die face and you are kind of bidding to get that nectar so at the end 
of the day phase where you're putting down all your dice at the end you'll go through a night phase and the first and second players so the person who has the most dice on that card will get two nectar the second most will only get one if you're tied for first you get one each if you're tied for second you get no nectar so it kind of opens up this you got to really think about how much you're going to invest into the nectar and there are ways to block people from getting what they need because if you tie them for second you can screw them out of the nectar that they might need and that's where those queen bee cards can come into play because maybe someone puts down you know a couple of die to get the one pink that they need to turn into the honey on the next turn and win the game you can put down another die with one of those cheaty cards and just totally block them so i thought that was really fun and interesting and it's to me kind of like that perfect weight game it's it took a, an hour for the the short game nice where's it rank with other dice's workers games um i think i still like alien frontiers the best out yeah. of those types of game but this might be a second to that i i mean i love the art it is just so beautiful and so colorful and whimsical and it's just right up my alley in that regards and she can look at herself as a cartoon <laughs> i'm on the poster my like meeple <laughs> person that they made of me is on the poster but that has nothing to do with why uh, i like this game i just the design of the cards is really nice because they they could have just done like text on cards but they did really nice illustrations of the the actions that you can take and I mean this is one of those Kickstarter games that I've gotten and I'm like so glad I backed it I was so glad to be a passionate backer for this one because it turned out awesome they got it out so super fast yeah so that's Waggle Dance awesome that's the same artist that's doing uh Matt Wolf's Wombat Rescue yes it is I am so looking forward to Wombat Rescue is that gonna be a unpub even though it's signed who knows? Maybe he'll carry it along with him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, just in passing, um, I have gotten in three plays of Abyss in the last two weeks. I'm not going to talk about Abyss. I'm just still enjoying that game. Uh, but one that I finally got to try is we played Five Tribes. And I know this is a point of contention because I actually liked it after one play. And I think Dan solidified the fact that he does not like it after a couple plays. Uh, not, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it. It's one of those games that just... I can't wrap my head around. It's just so chaotic. And being that I like kind of understanding what I need to do, planning my strategies on that kind of game where I like Euros, it's well known. Five tries for me is just, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And it's, I understand. I kind of just went with the flow. I did way better than I thought I was doing. Um, And that was just kind of moving meeples around the board, which to me was kind of boring because I wasn't, set on doing anything i just looked at the board and said all right that's best and i'll do that so i don't know i don't know how i feel i want to try it again (laughs) i'd recently traded to get this because i really want to solidify my opinion on it as well like the first couple of times i've played it i don't know what to make of it it's it's tactical which usually appeals to me because i'm not really a long-term strategy thinker when i play games but uh if it's tactical i can usually do pretty well the the problem i had with five tribes the first couple times i played it was i felt like the whole time like dan said i was behind like i wasn't really optimizing i didn't understand what my strategy was well enough in order to optimize but then i ended up doing really well that kind of bothers me more than it makes me happy because i'm not really enjoying the game during the game i'm enjoying it after the game when i realize i did okay (laughs) it's chaotic tactics now i i enjoyed it i don't know i can see why the word chaos would be tossed around because it is just kind of a cluster of meeples and things it's super cluttered it looks um, like a big mama 
Mama Meeple Bird just regurgitated all her little <laughs> Meeple babies back onto the board in multiple colors. That's a very interesting metaphor, but... I like it. Um, it was very tactical. I mean, to the point where I, I looked for potential moves and I figured out what I wanted to be doing. I wouldn't call it a strategy at all because with four players, there was no way to remotely guarantee that the move would be available. But I knew the kind of things that I wanted to do. Because I had a gin that did a particular thing. So I said, okay, I'm going to pursue this strategy to the best of my ability. I did get to a point where I couldn't do that anymore because those meeples weren't available. And that was kind of a bummer. I, just, I don't know. I had fun with it. It is a strange game, though. To say that I enjoyed it is not to say that I think that it's a really good game. Which I don't know if that's, that's, fair. that's fair to say. But um, when you sit down at the table, it felt like, okay... Each turn, it's like, what can I do and evaluate my moves? But overall, it almost felt like I didn't play a game. I don't know. It's a very weird no, feeling because... It's, it's so unique. I think that's what's bothering me is because I don't know how to play it. Like, it's one of those games. It's just such... I don't want to say it's revolutionary, but it's like that revert... What's he call it? Like, reverse worker placement yeah. <laughs> with the Mancala kind of uh, mechanic. It's just... It's very unique, and, and I don't really know how to grasp what I'm doing in it. That's yeah. probably my problem. I know people have cracked it, and people see a lot of strategic value in it. I just kind of played it for fun and just tried to embrace that as much as possible and tried to score points and felt good when I did something that scored me some points or that made sense. So I guess holding on to that feeling is what got me through the game. But overall, I mean, I don't think I'm running out to buy it. I don't think that it's... A super amazing game, but I did have fun, and I'd play it if somebody broke it out. But an awesome game that we did play that same night, which I'm super excited about, is Zaya. And this was the one that Dan won in the raffle, right? I so did. you can chat about that. I was lucky enough to win at the um, Gamers for Cures 24-hour board game marathon. I won a copy of Zaya, which was awesome because I, I wanted it, but I only put about three or four tickets, $1 tickets, <laughs> into the box. So to get a $90-plus game in return or whatever it is, I was super thrilled with. Um, and it was also a game on my um, blog from earlier this year about my uh, top 14 most intriguing games of 2014. It was on there. Um, it's one I missed the Kickstarter for. It was a little bit before my kind of Kickstarter addiction started, but um, I was really looking forward to seeing the final product, and it didn't disappoint, aesthetically speaking. We'll start with that. It's a beautiful game. The components are top-notch. There's 21 hand-painted... Well, I don't know if they're hand-painted. Some of them look like... They're, they're not hand-painted. No, they're, if they were, they were painted by a guy with a blindfold. Some of them. But <laughs> they were painted in, probably in China by a machine. And regardless, the sculpts are all unique. So there's 21 unique sculpts. Um, so there's three different tiers of ships. So you have the tiny ships all the way up to the level three ships, which are a little bit bigger. And um, those are beautiful. The coins are probably the best coins I've ever seen in a game. They're these metal triangular uh, credit tokens. They're they're phenomenal. They got great weight. They're fun to play with while you're waiting for your turn to start. Cardboard's great. Everything in the game is is wonderfully produced. Gameplay, we played the short version, like the introductory version, which only goes to five points. It's just enough to get you kind of familiar with the systems, the mechanics, and kind of what you're going to be doing in the game. It's a sandbox game, so it's one of those games... I think at its heart, it's a pick up and deliver, but there's a lot of other things you can do to score yourself some fame, which is what you're ultimately going for. You can shoot other people, you can rob them, you can complete missions, you can do all kinds of good stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's very random 
and you have to kind of know that going in. It's not gonna. It's not so much like Eclipse where you can have that strategy and that that long term goal. This is a very on the fly. You're rolling dice. The different kind of obstacles and terrain that you're crossing through, uh, minefields, uh, asteroid belts, that kind of thing. Every time you touch one of those spaces, you're rolling a die to see what happens to your ship. So you never know. But that's that's part of the excitement. There's this thing that happened to me in the first game, and I know Matt got blown up as well through like an asteroid field or something. But I did what's called a blind jump, whereas you can spend a movement point to jump onto a space on the edge, and it's basically you're flipping over a new tile, but you don't know what you're jumping into. And I jumped into the sun, which is the only tile, the only sun tile in the game, and it's basically a giant sun that says your ship blows up. So <laughs> it was not the nice. most successful blind jump, but it was hilarious. And it was I knew going in that some, you know, random things like this were gonna take place and I, I absolutely loved it. It was it was really light. It was pretty pretty easy to understand. I think a lot of the cards and the iconography are pretty easy to grasp. And uh, I can't wait to play a full full game of it. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to show its strength at the full game. the The basic five point game is just to get the mechanics, and it did exactly what it needed to do. It wasn't. I was a, a little bit bitter when I basically lost my whole ship in a turn to a D twenty roll, but that's ma- mainly because I knew in two turns someone was going to win. So I was basically out of the game at that point. But that you know little fact aside, I think that across a longer game, there's a lot of cool things to do. It's got a little bit of that um, Firefly and Merchant of Venus kind of stuff. So pick up and deliver, but it's got the attacking system built in there. Um, a little bit of dice rolling. Everything looks really cool. I a like a little bit of dice rolling. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, all dice yeah. rolling. Everything a game you do. completely dice rolling. Um, a nice spatial element with your ship. I love like putting things into your ship because you have to like balance. Okay, I can pick up these goods, but I that's shield. what he says. okay it's it's a cool game i'm excited for it i think it's gonna for a lot of people this will replace a lot of other um of these like 4x style games maybe that do certain things well but not other things this kind of has a whole package in there and if you feel this kind of game is right for you i think you're gonna be very pleased with it you know i think that's mostly what we've been playing lately um so we can go ahead and take a quick break and when we come back we have a very exciting interview set up we've got mr stephen bonacore on the line and he will be joining us for a a little question and answer and then for our nonsensical secret santa so stick around for that Welcome back. We are very excited to have one of the big names in board games, Mr. Stephen Bonacore, the president of Stronghold Games, joining us for today's show. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great, great, great to be here on the on another Dice Tower Network show. Oh, 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 oh I'm sorry. You guys aren't on the Dice Tower Network. Killing me. Oh. <laughs> preemptive, preemptive. Don't worry. Uh, but you will be. You got, we'll you save know, this bit, for episode little steps, 20. <laughs> little steps, and we're going we're gonna to get you there. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Don't, don't uh, worry about it. The Bob Father will take care of things for you. He'll take care of me. One hand washes the other. You know, I'll make Tom Vassal an offer he can't refuse. He's good at this. Do <laughs> <laughs> you use a mirror when you do this voice? It's great. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on the show to chat some board games and uh, have a little fun with us. We have our nonsensical secret Santa lined up for today. But first, we're going to go ahead and pick your brain a little bit about Stronghold Games. 
some of the products that you have going on the shelves and then also kind of about the company itself. Does that sound good to you? Sounds awesome. All right, sir. Let's go ahead and start with a little bit about you. So you've actually been a gamer longer than I've been alive. Um, <laughs> thank, thank you. See, now you got me back. That's now you're calling me an old bastard, so it's perfect. There you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how about you give us a little origin story about kind of where you started in the hobby and how you ended up here? Yeah, I've been a gamer all my life, and as you've pointed out, uh, that's a quite a long time. Uh, started out, you know, with the standard family fair of games. You know, Monopoly was actually a a Christmas Eve tradition every year in the house, and how you know, how boring that is, of course. But we we, we played that every year for forever uh, on Christmas Eve. Played all the rest of the you know sorry and and trouble and all that, that kind of normal stuff, and even some of these like weird games. As as I was growing up, uh, King Oil uh, was was something I had in the house for a while. So um, it was it was a, a grand fest of board games growing up. Of course, during the rise of the PC moved into computer gaming for a little while got into the MMOs for just a little bit of time did uh did a city of heroes I never did world of warcraft i did do a little bit of magic but never competitively uh so back in the 90s and i was really kind of big uh into uh vtes uh, which was also called jihad at the time so those are the kind of things i was doing and then so all of a sudden my, my friends and i we, we you know we started finding games at these, you know, these game stores that also had comics, you know, back then and stuff. Uh, and uh, they were games that you couldn't find in, uh, in the regular toy stores. And it was Amun Ray by Rhino Kinesia. That was one of the first big games we picked up. Love it. Still love that game. One of my, my biggest, my, my favorite Kinesia game by far. Uh, we, we, we got into Puerto Rico heavily back then, a little bit of Settlers. And it was, it, it just became like, this was the way that we wanted to get together to socialize because you know you can get together online and things like that but there's you know, there's only so much social interaction you have and you, and and that is what that is what really brought me back to board gaming and that's what keeps me as a board gamer because really you know even though some of us say that we're socially inept or you know <laughs> um, and some gamers have you know don't have great social skills really what it comes down to it we we're really getting together to be social together and, you know, we're, we're doing this across a table and hopefully we're doing it with people we like. So, you know, it, it's a one big way of, of relating to people. And it's one of the most social things you can end up doing, you know, having that shared experience at a table. So that's, you know, a, a long way around get, that, that I am a board gamer really through and through. And I do very little of any types of uh, um, online at all. A little, little, little bit maybe on my iPad once in a while. But that's about it. I am a board gamer. Love it. And uh, this is where I, I will remain. Well, that's excellent to hear. And, you know, I think that anybody who knows Stronghold Games can see that passion and, and that feeling within the line. And, you know, your brand has been pretty inescapable this year. I feel like everywhere I look, I'm seeing a new Stronghold game. This year was it was literally a, um, a, a storm that just like occurred like this simultaneously when uh, when I hooked up with. Artipia Games, when they came to me, you know, and they had, they had done some research, and we had some meetings in, in Essen, that's where I, I, I do my meetings for with a lot of the European publishers, they said, we really want you to partner with us for our flagship game, Among the Stars, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll be honored, I love the game, and I like the direction you guys are going. So when I, we picked, when I picked that one up, it was just a layup that I would also do 
the expansion that was already out and the expansion that was going to come out. Yep. So that's the Ambassadors was expansion one, and Expanding the Alliance was expansion two. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I went from one game to three games. <laughs> and and then I had asked Jeff Engelstein to give me expansions to the two Space Cadets games. Because, you, you know, this is, again, one of my biggest lines. Space Cadets is absolutely one of my big lines. Started with the original Space Cadets, and then Space Cadets Dice Duel at the end of... 2013 mm-hmm. and i wanted to continue I, I i actually proclaimed in early 2014 that it was going to be the year of space cadets and i wanted to do more and more stuff in the line and keep it growing yeah and you got more space cadets things out than Shadowrun did so i think you win <laughs> I, I guess i won in that regard so we brought out both space cadets dice duel die fighter the expansion to, to space Cadets dice duel and space cadets resistance is mostly futile the expansion for the original space cadets so now i'm at five games and it just kept going mike fitzgerald um pitched me a phenomenal trick-taking card game and i had been looking for a game to begin a new line of games there called my pocket line Mm-hmm. which is a small form factor, but not so small that it's just a deck of cards. I, I like to bling out anything I produce, as you probably know. I don't just bring out with, you know, standard components. I've got to do something bigger and better than your your average bear. You know, I just have to do it that way because I, I guess that's what I like to see on my tables. Yeah. So when Mike pitched me diamonds, I'm like, this is a great game. This is a great trick taking card game. I could do it as a deck of 60 cards and probably, you know, a few chits and we'd probably be okay. But no, I couldn't actually do it that way i had to have you know have to make sure it was six players we had to have player screens we had to have 135 acrylic crystals in the game which is the diamonds (laughs) themselves the the currency oh and we had to put um metallic gold and silver ink on the cards it's a a six color printing process not your standard four color printing special printing process that that only certain printers can do I had to do that because because just to keep the thematic nature of diamonds and the luxury that has in one's mind, uh, as well as the Art Deco art that we put on those cards, it all just packages so well together. So you take a great game and you, we put chrome, a lot of chrome around it to just make it you know even bigger and better. Yeah, diamonds has a ton of flair. And I know when I picked it up, I was like, what is this giant box for this trick-taking game? And it's got all those awesome components, just like you said. But, you know, I had pitched it to my friends and my family as like, Oh, we play hearts, we play spades, so we're we're ready for this. But they see this box, like, what in the world are you getting into? Uh, <laughs> but it is a, it's an awesome game. Thank you. Thank and you've you. actually kind of pointed us right in the direction that I wanted to go. So how does the game like that come into your company? You, you talked about Mike Fitzgerald and the new um, line that you're looking into. You're starting this new Pocket Games line? Pocket line, meaning, uh, you know, I had mostly been, most of my games had been between 30... Five forty uh, to sixty dollars. Even I have a one seventy dollar game. So they've been <clears throat> a little bit a little bit higher end in price point. I wanted to start something, you know, at the lower end. Again, just because I want more and more people to experience stronghold games. Some people just can't afford to buy a sixty dollar game very often. And I play a lot of card games anyway. And I play a lot of small games. Small games normally equate with faster games, faster play time, shorter shorter games, faster playing. That's a style of game that I end up playing a lot. So when Mike came to me, and Mike is the king of card games, that, that's that's what he's done in his entire career. For sure. Uh, the Mystery of Army series, uh, Wyatt Earp, uh, he has been involved. Mike has been the developer, not the designer, but the developer on every Pokemon expansion since the beginning. So he really knows his card games and card balance. Really? Yeah, yeah it's a little known fact, but he is, he is truly, a, truly a genius of the card game. 
So when he pitches it to me, I said, this is great. I want to do this. So we put it into that pocket line. Um, well, then, actually, looking at the flip side of that, so you've got diamonds, um, and we definitely get that to our to our table a lot. But we've also been able to uh, take a look at some of your heavier Euros. You had two of probably the biggest Euro games and two of the most complex Euro games come out this year, and that was Kanban Automotive Revolution and uh, Panamax, which the subtitle of that is Giant Shipping Vessel Revolution, right? Something like that. <laughs> technically, no. Technically, maybe it's the 100th anniversary of the Panama Canal is the yeah. uh, subtitle, but not, ex- <laughs> but not exactly. We don't really have one for that one. But yeah, that and that again was another one of those um, perfect storms of have, having these two big games. At Essen 2013, I was pitched the idea of Panamax by uh, by the company um, who who owns that that game, Mesa Board Games, and they were doing this game with the designers of Madeira. Who you know? Who, who that's just a great game. Was very well received when it came out. So it immediately caught me based on that alone. And then when we brought it back and we 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 did some testing, we said, okay, you guys really have a, something really good here. And then I put a developer on the game. Uh, his name is Steve Rogers, one a good friend of mine lives here in New Jersey, and he worked closely with them to just take a an excellent design, just take it to that next level. And it, the game just really 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 works great it's got a, it's an engine in that game that just works really really well um it's an economic game that has some really novel mechanics in it the uh the chain chain reaction pushing mechanic and the action dice selection mechanics and that just really comes together in such a really nice way and i know um um tiffany is a big fan of of the game as well as um, as well as a uh, combine as well tiffany wait you did you have you actually played Kanban as well? I have not gotten a chance okay. to play Kanban yet. Okay, but I know you, you liked Panamax quite a bit, isn't that right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I love it. It's really good. Cool. You've been quiet there. I wanted to get you in the <laughs> you know. I usually am. It's okay. fine. That's <laughs> how I roll. That's how you roll, okay. So that's how that you know got, came to the table. Then we were after um, Essen. Jeez, I was trying to remember. I think it might have been in December into January that Talacerda came to me and said that he'd gotten the rights back from another company who was considering doing Kanban, and they had passed on the game for some reasons. Uh, it wasn't gameplay, I'll tell you that much, but they had passed on the, on the game. So I'm a big fan of his designs because they are just they're just so well thought out. I mean, they are huge, they are big, they are dense in every way, from from rules density to complexity of what you have to do. But I mean, there's a lot of genius. I call him an evil genius. He's, he's just there's a lot of genius behind the things that he does. So when he pitched, when he came to me, he said, "I have it back." I made sure that it, it was all cool with the other company, and we then spent time to do some extra development on that game. And I put another good friend of mine, who's a really, really great heavy Euro uh, gamer, his name is Paul and Ko. He got on that game, and he worked as closely with Vital, and he was—he's almost a co-designer, but Vital is the designer, and Paul developed that game. It all fits together seamlessly, even though it is a big, heavy game. Once you get once you have that game explained to you correctly, you see the interlocking mechanisms between that game where you have to get parts to then produce cars uh, and to upgrade components. So it all fits together. And there's little doors between the different departments on the board. The board is beautiful, busy, but beautiful. And the way that they all link together is flows on the board as well. So, yeah, really proud of both of these games. And again, kind of that perfect storm that things just lined up to say, say Stephen... This is going to be the year, the biggest year of all. I'm going to have to make a big capital commitment here to print these games. And in the end, it was um, it was a, a bet that paid off because um, the reception to everything, uh, everything we've, we've talked about so far, and there's actually a few more, has been just really, really good. 
There's definitely a few more, and I was trying to think of a clever transition to move from Kanban into Space Cadets, but, you know, I just, what is going on with Space Cadets? There's, you've got two separate games with Dice Duel and the main game, you've got expansions for both, you've got a third one hitting Kickstarter soon, correct? That is correct. You've got all kinds of stuff. So you and the Engelsteins are like best buddies. <laughs> well, Jeff is almost a neighbor of mine. He lives uh, 20 minutes away from me. And Andrew Parks is a neighbor. He literally lives in, in the same neighborhood as me. So, I mean, I guess it's a good thing to uh, to have friends who are as talented as these guys. I can't speak more highly about how wonderful it is to work with them and the fact that they really like me. <laughs> they really want to work <laughs> with me. Amazing. Just and that's amazing. A, and that's a, you know, it's a nice thing. Yes, I know. Nobody really <laughs> does like me. So it's amazing that a couple of people, you know, like them would actually like me. So it's been, it's been, a, it's been really humbling to get these kind of, um, this kind of talent on board with a small company like us. You know, what kind of options do you think that the Space Cadets line offers that you haven't been able to fill with some of the other games that you've picked up? Because there definitely seem to be, like the Dice Duel and the main game seem to be two of the really unique games. I mean, with the dice play and then also that big, like, six-player space co-op. I mean, they, they just seem to fill a really nice niche. And I was just wondering kind of where you see them fitting. Well, yeah, we I consider uh, Space Cadets, the Space Cadets line, as uh, <clears throat> essentially a, a a line of cooperative space-themed games. The, the original game, which is now three to seven players with the expansion. No, I'm sorry, two to seven players with the expansion yeah. is actually two-player variant if you pick up the expansion. Uh, and that's a completely cooperative game, you know, with that very interesting real-time element where everybody has their own job on the bridge and their own mini-game to play. So there's no no possibility of an alpha gamer syndrome where somebody's telling, oh, you do this now, you have to do this. Hey, they can't. They've got their own job to do, so they've got to do that that one job. That really is that's my big, you know, big co-op there. Then Dice Duel took that into a completely real time, you know, rolling dice like insanity, team versus team, real time starship combat. So again taking taking a co-op but slightly in a different direction with with two different teams now in away missions which is my first kickstarter game i've ever done and there's a reason for that we can talk about that in a second um, with away missions it's another completely cooperative game one to six players mission based where we're going to be doing this as a prequel to the original space cadets thematically going going back um artistically to the golden age of science fiction like the 1950s versions of science fiction with uh, big-headed aliens, you know, little green men, spacesuits with you know bubble-headed spacesuits and things like that. And we're going to be going off the ship now, and we're going to be going on to alien worlds and and, and a lot onto alien um, uh, ships and space stations. And you're going to be going on missions. If the if the Kickstarter funds and funds fully, there'll be 20 missions in the box that it comes with, and 100 plastic miniatures. That's my goal to make this game bigger than any other miniatures game, any other mainstream miniatures game that's out there. You know, you might want to bring up some other cooperative miniatures games like <laughs> Zombicide, <laughs> excuse me. So <laughs> games like that, which have had 70 and 80 miniatures, we're, we're, we're aiming for that, you know, that big price point, which is why it's on Kickstarter, right? I've, I've never done a game that's $90, $100 MSRP. Not even close, right? I mean, I'm, I'm way, way below that with my games that are averaging around, say, 50 Yeah. We're going to a hundred dollar, ninety or hundred dollar price point. Haven't got it exactly set yet. When it's you know with a final MSRP, and I'm going to do it with more components than any of those other games that have been out there. I love my friends at Cool Mini or not, but I'm going to do it better than you guys. <laughs> my first miniatures game, 
my first Kickstarter, and we're going to do it. We're going to blow the doors off this one, assuming, of course, it does fund. If it doesn't fund to any given level, we'll do it as a regular board game with great quality stand-up cardboard pieces, which um, was the original plan. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, man, but the minis here, this, this thing is ripe to have minis in it. Because you've got aliens coming at you from all angles in this game. That's kind of what it is. Every time you, you explore another tile, more of these aliens are coming up, coming popping up. So just think about 30, 40, 50, 60 aliens, uh, miniatures on the board with your poor, you know, one to six heroes out there. And, you know, you're trying to fight them all off on, on a mission to go collect some items, save some thralls, human thralls that have been captured, things like that. So it's an interesting romp. And, you know, I, I think it's a great uh, next game in the entire, you know, cooperative nature of the uh, Space Cadets line. I think I can get behind that. <laughs> I'm behind minis instead of standees. When does that launch? Ah, when indeed. I actually have seen I have seen the final sculpts uh, were sent to me from China yesterday. I saw them and I my jaw dropped. I mean, I saw the pictures of them You know, they sent me. They just look so amazing. I'm so happy about how these things look. We're going to launch that Kickstarter on or around Sunday... The, tw- the 21st. Sometime during that week of Christmas, I'm going to launch this Kickstarter. So people who are hearing this are going to be gonna watch that and watch and see this as we um, as we put this on. So it'll be right around the time. So good timing. So now you guys know what to get me for Christmas. Just uh, reserve me a, a backer slot there. Tiffany, I think that's a great, great thing to do. <laughs> we have co-host. Come on. I already got these guys Christmas presents. I'm done. Uh, uh, there you go. So what is, I assume the first stretch goal is going to be they're all going to be glow-in-the-dark? There will be no glow-in-the-dark miniatures. Damn. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're going to have to cut that because he's going to get like 20,000 emails <laughs> about the glow-in-the-dark minis. Yeah, but if he gets emails, it might happen. <laughs> Tiff, you're all assuming right. 20,000 people actually are going to listen to this. <laughs> how about if I make that the $2 million stretch goal? I don't even know how to do glow-in-the-dark. I'm doing a minis gaming. Hey, you better be careful. Zombicide has gone over a million. Yeah, you might. You know, from from your lips to God's ear. Yeah, Zombicide 3 went to almost 3 million. So if you get over 2 million, you know who to credit. And that game's and not even can... that good. <laughs> <laughs> I like Zombicide. I have a copy. I like it very much. I have a copy of Zombicide as well. I have a well. copy as well. So Dan... Dan t- has terrible taste in games. <laughs> <next door. laughs> How many times have you guys played it? Once, probably. I played it at least 10. <laughs> I've played it three times, which is more than a lot of my bigger games. So, yeah. right. in your face, Dan. That's fine. I don't like Ameritrash. I stick with Steven Jiro's. Those are my go-tos. <laughs> but I'll play, I'll play Aliens. I like Aliens. I hate Sorry. zombies. Now I'm thing. thinking of a zombie Panamax expansion. Oh, yeah. All right. The festival. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for those guys to design the expansion. You know, I'll be all over that. So uh, yeah, if you got a uh, if you got a, a zombie shipping uh, expansion, you know, we can talk about it. I will start planning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. So moving forward, I think we've got one more thing I want to hone in on in terms of the catalog here. So on top of all your original IPs with Space Cadets um, and some of the other, you know, the Euros you pulled in, you mentioned Among the Stars before, and you also just reprinted Medina. Um, so these two games have, has sworn allegiance to the stronghold and you pick these two up and we, I don't know if you knew, but we are actually giving away a copy of Medina currently with our winner giveaway. That's going oh, on. very nice of you. We are big fans of Medina. We enjoyed that a lot. 
um, and we thought we should share the wealth. But yeah, so both of those games you picked up and reprinted, um, and I was just wondering, you know, how does how does that fit in with your other giant <laughs> catalog of 2014? You also had these other games. Well, reprints have been are always something that I uh, I've been interested in. Um, the the company started in 2009, and and the and the original premise was to go out and to find great games that had already been done, but were out of print. You know, go out, find great games by great designers, and then people will be looking at, you know, saying, oh, I really want that game, but who are these guys, Stronghold Games? Well, you know, I really want that game, so I'll try that. So we were going to try to raise our brand by finding those great games. But I always knew that the well was going to run out and and do so in a relatively short time, and I wasn't going to be a reprint-only company for, for a long time. But in the beginning, we had Code 777, we got... Uh, survive. We got confusion. We had a number of games that we, you know, we went out to get and do reprints on. Uh, Medina was the only one from this year that was truly a reprint. Among the Stars, I don't consider that a reprint. That's a co-publication with with Artipia Games. They they have very very small distribution in Europe alone, so they needed a bigger partner, someone with worldwide distribution. So you stepped in to help out with that. So well, you stepped in to help out with this great great IP that they they gave me, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I then I, I then printed it for North America, Australia, Asia. I, I was able to get games out to the rest of the world, essentially. Uh, and uh, it's it, it, as you know, it's it's done very very well. So Medina is the only um, it was the only true reprint, and that game was uh, as old as 2001, I believe, was its uh, at least its first printing, and it might have had a, one or two after that, but that's it. And then it had been out of print for a while. And um, White Goblin got the license back, and then I'm their go-to partner on most games. So they came and they said, "You want to do it with us?" And I looked at it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be beautiful. As long as we can do it, at least is good. And we did it even better. The the shapes of the buildings and the uh, and the merchants and all the pieces in that game look that much better. And the original designer, Stefan Dora, he actually added some additional mechanics into the game. Now you can play it down to two players. There's a new piece called the well in the game. There are tea tiles. There's new stuff going on in the game. So even those who have played it in the past and loved it can get a, a new experience with it again. So. On the topic of like the smaller European publishers, so you mentioned Artipia, White Goblin Games. Um, how do these partnerships, like, we're kind of getting into the publishing side of things, um, how do these partnerships fit into your overall business plan for Stronghold? Do you see, uh, foresee an increase in the number of these externally developed games that you're going to publish? Are you going to look to maybe bring some things more in-house internally? Again, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Looking uh, more to the European publishers uh, for their great games and bringing them over. It's a no-brainer from a business model, not not to mention a gamer model. That uh, if a game is already been developed and it's and, and it's been produced, even uh, in a lot of cases, uh, and they just need to do another print run, or they need to do their first print run, but everything else has been is ready to go. For me to join in with them is a no-brainer, assuming the game, of course, is up to the standards that I want. You know, just a great, great game for gamers. And I have another big announcement that I'm about to come out with. And should I tell you? Yes. Uh, I'm yes, going to be you giving should. you. All right. So uh, I'm uh, about to have a press release because I've signed an agreement with Spielworks, a German oh. company. Oh, nice. And do you know Spielworks? They're the heaviest of heavy. I love them. They've done some very, very heavy stuff, but some also some not as heavy stuff. Uh, the first two games, we're going to do two games with them. Uh, the first one uh, is going to be in yet another series of games that I'm starting up in 2015. I'm, I'm calling it the Great Designers Series. 
And Great Designer Series number one is going to be Age of Reason. It was, it was first done in Germany with a German name that I cannot pronounce. But it's a Martin Wallace game. Uh, he re-implements uh, and streamlines his, his phenomenal game, Struggle of Empires, which basically shows uh, the, the uh, struggle during the latter half of the 18th century, 19th, 18th century, 1700s, I think. Anyway, they're struggling over, uh, over their own power in Europe as well as colonizing uh, in India and in, uh, and in North America and in, and in South America. It's um, it. It's one of my favorite games. His Struggle of Empires is always one of my favorite games, but he's even done it one better. Martin Wallace has even done it one better with this. Spielworks had the has the license for the game. It's only been printed in German and only 500 copies, so we're going to be doing it, calling it Age of Reason. That's the, the German the translation to, to the German, uh, and bringing that out in English for the rest of the world. It's going to be my first game in the Great Designer series, So and it'll be numbered and that kind of thing, and there'll be more of those coming down the road. And the second game that I signed with them, and again, we're going to have a press release coming out really soon about this, and that's La Granja, uh, which, was, which, premiered, which premiered in Essen um, in a small, small print run, about 1,000 copies in German. We're obviously going to be doing it in English for worldwide distribution. This is a, I'd like to call it Feld-like in, in some ways, you know, Stefan Feld-like, because there's like a lot of ways of, of, of scoring your points and things like that, but uh, it's very, very approachable Euro. This would be uh, definitely more on the on the on the midweight style game, not that that big heavy, approachable game. Anybody can play it. You can you can really you can really bring even some non gamers into this because you can explain that there's lots of different ways to do things and you just go down whichever path you like. Brilliant game, beautiful. Um, uh, it is it is about it is about farming, <laughs> as as more traditional euros are. Is, uh, you're you're creating the <laughs> the estate of Lagrange. You're going you're trying to become Lagrange, this estate in oh gosh I forgot what country we're actually it's actually set in. You know I want as soon as I as soon as I saw the, the the buzz on it, played the game, loved it, very excited to be doing this. Now, so those two games with yet another European publisher that I'm I'm very excited about. And uh, this is kind of cooperation. These kind of partnerships will only increase over time because they're they're easy. Because it's 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 sort of like it's sort of like adding a person into your company. You're adding another brain, somebody who's already vetted games, and they're and they're genius already at doing what they do. Why not team up? Why not have a strategic partnership with them to to do things like that? And uh, Uli Blenemann over there is just a phenomenal guy, and uh, he loves me, and I like another person that likes me. And uh, we're going to be doing this and other games, I'm sure, in the future. Yeah, that's that's going to generate a lot of buzz because Lagrange, especially, has been really sought after ever since it released. Um, you're familiar with it, good. I am I'm very. It's one of those. Like you mentioned, the Stefan Feld, but where you're taking the cards and you're placing them on various asp- or areas of the board, and they trigger. It almost had a Glory to Rome kind of feel to it, from what I was reading. A lot of lot of uses of the cards, and um, it's very and very um, unique way of of putting the uh, of the cards and the um, and, and the um, player board in front of you. I th- yeah, the way it's cut out. You, 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 right. You, yeah. There's like slots in there, and you kind of move them around and expose certain parts of it. Really cool. Again, another really cool looking. Euro yeah. game, so I'm definitely kind of like love the blingy portions of these these euros that I'm doing, you know. Um, so it's uh, it, it I, th- I think you're gonna really like it if you haven't played it. Um, I think this is another one of those games you should really check out. Yeah, it's definitely on my list. That's gonna I think that's gonna generate, like I said, a lot of buzz. I think a lot of people have been waiting to see who's gonna bring that one over. You are on fire this year, Stephen. Fire! Seriously, that is exciting. <laughs> 
2015, the year of Stronghold again. The decade of Stronghold. Yeah, I was oh, going to say, that. not the year of Stronghold. We're going for the decade of Stronghold. Well, you know, I want to be the next company that, you know, Asmodee, you know, reaches out to to put up its press release. <laughs> yeah, you know. So you need to you need to buy Asmodee. That's where you <laughs> <laughs> set your sights right. I know you work on Wall Street, Stephen. You need to... You need to... <laughs> Maybe I should go go to my buddies in, on Wall Street to get some investment banking money and say, guys, you know, need about, I don't know, about a billion dollars or something like that. They're a very, very big company. They're huge. Well, as, as in they themselves is very big. And, of course, they're owned by even a bigger company. So yeah, we're talking about um, some major, major money going on over there. They're very good guys. Yeah, definitely. We enjoy their games. Sticking on the uh, European market, what, what have you found in these partnerships to be the biggest challenge when you're bringing a game to like the U.S. market or any of the other markets you've kind of brought games to? Well, the challenge is, is always going to be in you know finding the right ones. I mean, uh, if, if the game completely originates in-house, quote-unquote in-house, I mean, I'm not a designer, so and, and I am essentially one person you know, in this company. So when we, we find uh, our own designs, we, we have to vet them through and through, and that's a very tedious process and a long process. But I know a great game, so, you know, I have control of it. When you're going out and you're and you're and you're working with other publishers, you're gonna have to work with their ideas. And a lot a lot of times, um, you know, Panamax, for instance, it was an interesting road that we took with with that game. It was sold, quote unquote, to me as as this kind of style of game, and it, and it and it worked great. And we started streamlining it all. And all of a sudden, the designers really wanted to take it in a different direction. And it was after a couple of months of us getting it to a certain point. And they said, no, why don't we take this out and take this out and remove it? I'm like, I'm like, oh, wait, guys, this is not the game that we bought into. We bought into this medium-heavy game, not this light-medium game. I want to keep all this stuff in. It really makes sense. It's going to appeal to that style. In fact, it's the same style, the same crowd that your original game, Madeira, appealed to. I want to, I want to appeal to that crowd. And obviously, there's a market for that because... Madeira did very well, and Panamax did very well, and of course, Kanban, the, the heavyweight of all heavyweights, you know, has done extremely well as well. So that's where I, I, I had to move them. I had to say, no, guys, really, let's stay here. I think we've got something really great here. Let's do that. So, you know, anytime you, you're adding more people into it, you have more personalities and more things and more challenges like that. But overall, these things have worked very, very smoothly, you know, and we've been very fortunate to team up with some some very talented people, very talented companies. I think we're going to continue to find more of those going forward. Excellent. I, I hope you do. I sit here and watch like all the tweets from Essen, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and then you just kind of hold your breath until you see who's decided to bring some of those games over. And you got to get yourself there. It's only a plane flight away. Right. Aaron, come on. Next year's a possibility, so we'll see. There you go. You married? Uh, yes, but my wife's French, so I have, an, I have a connection to Europe. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, you guys will come over and you'll take a two-week thing and tour through Essen and tour through France. Perfect. I, I like the sound And of that. I'll come with you. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll Tiffany. stay in Ohio. <laughs> you can come also. Come on. It's during the school year. I can't leave here. The children, uh, what would they do without me? Tiff, I won't be a third wheel if you come. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the kids to their field trip. If Stronghold Games will sponsor me, uh, I'd consider oh, it. You can work the booth. <laughs> Rhiannon is also has already asked me to uh, to take her. I said uh, you can work in the booth, but you're gonna have to uh, get there on your own dime. <laughs> you're gonna have to hold up your thumb and get hitchhiked uh-huh. over there. So um, I'm just interested, Stephen. Obviously, you're 
well ingrained in the board game industry and there's been there's been a lot of talk uh, recently from some mainstream media you know some of the bigger newspapers and uh, online uh, outlets about kind of the evolution and the resurgence of the board game industry in, in in our country and I guess elsewhere in the world from from your standpoint as a publisher how do you see how do you interpret this going forward for the next three to five years like how do you plan to kind of keep pace and remain relevant with stronghold you know, when I talked to the New York Times uh, the other day, and, uh, you know, and the Wall Street <laughs> Journal called on the other line, I had to tell them uh, I have to get back to them. No, I have. You're going to get one of those grainy little pictures in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly never been taught, never spoken to any mainstream media, but um, no, it is interesting that that it has been picked up to a certain extent. I still think that we're a cottage industry, really, when it comes down to it. It's really, really still a very very small industry with a lot of companies in it. Don't get me wrong. Sure. It's a lot of companies, uh, especially since Kickstarter has made the, uh, the the price of entry so small now, right? I mean, you know, you start up a company which costs nothing. If you've got a good idea and you can get people on board with you, with that, you can produce a game with yep. almost no investment of, of your own. You know, of course, you have to get through the Kickstarter process and people have to get on board and there's been issues there and, you know, with, with games not happening, you know, that they should have happened and things like that. But, how are we going to stay relevant? Um, I think that we're we're never going to become, at least not in the foreseeable future, particularly bigger than we are right now. It's we, we we are growing. We are growing at double digit rates every year, but we're not going to become truly mainstream. And and I, and and while I would love to, of course, I would love to. I mean, if we became truly mainstream, I would think that stronghold games would triple, quadruple, ten times in size really quickly because the difference in in, in the board gaming industry versus uh, the, the electronic industry or the toy industry is is tens and hundreds of times in every you know over and over. So I'd love to see that, but I just I just don't really believe that that's you know in in our foreseeable future. We're we're getting bigger um, with a grassroots kind of movement. Um, we're getting bigger because you know people are are looking. Not to get like I don't know politically sounding, but you know the, the the family values kind of show through more with board gaming. You know we are having that shared experience around a table, as I mentioned before. Now let's do that, and and people are doing that with their families, right? The families of little kids, families of um, teenage kids, families of adult aged kids. They're getting together and they're doing this as a nice experience to do it together. And there are games, you know, with a thousand games coming out every year, even more. I think at this point coming out every year there is a game for everyone you can play certain games with your mother your grandmother your um, wisecracking friend who wouldn't go near a board game there are games for everybody out there so to stay relevant is kind of what you said I think to me it's it's to continue to just produce great games Stronghold's going to do it across the spectrum of games I've mentioned on, a, on another podcast that I was I was growing the company horizontally Meaning, I want to have a game for everyone at that lowest end of the spectrum, you know, in the price point where I brought out diamonds in that pocket line, up to the biggest price point now, where I'm going, I'm going big. I'm going with Space Cadets Away missions, a hundred dollar game, testing that market using Kickstarter to do so, of course, in this case. So I want to really broaden the spectrum of games that I have. Entering new markets with the heavy euros this year. Never really had done that. Did CO2, of course, before, but these were like a big push into that market. And as I do that, of course, I am by by the very nature of doing that, helping to grow my own company, but even bring other gamers into into the industry 
because you know when you when you put things in new markets into new segments of this small market other people are going to be uh, have a, have an attraction to it and i think diamonds uh, everybody is tweeting and everybody's talking about the fact that oh, i'm buying diamonds for the family we're playing at thanksgiving oh we're playing it at christmas we're playing it at the holidays got my grandmother to play with me and she loved it she's a euchre player thought it was the greatest thing so you know continuing to do that that's my way of being relevant i don't know if that's the right answer to your question but that's all i got no <laughs> i think the way to be relevant is is to appeal to everyone's grandmother. I really agree with that. There you go. That's right. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I I didn't mean relative in a negative sense. I think it's just like you mentioned with Kickstarter and just the the ease of entry and the number of games that are produced every year. It just seems to me, and I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but it just seems like it's just it's harder and harder to kind of stand out. And I think you've done a really great job of that this year. So I was just curious how you planned on doing that going forward because I think that's it's definitely commendable. Bringing out great games for gamers. It's, that's just been what I've been trying to do. And uh, I think I've done a good job so far, uh, especially in 2014. And um, I'm just going to continue continue doing that. There's no secret sauce other than just pick the right games and then, you know, talk to people like you and get, and get the word out. I mean, it's no um, secret that I use the social media to the best of my ability and get on get in, in the face of, of podcasters <laughs> as much as possible. And, and have people like Tiffany laugh at me, and you know that's sort of what I do. I mean, I, I want to be out there and uh, and just try to you know be the best company I can be, and in, as part of that, being the best person I can be with within the gaming community. Excellent, gamers and grandmas. That's what Stronghold Games does. <laughs> that's like your new tagline. <laughs> gamers and grandmas makes me sound old, though. I don't know, older than I am. Yeah, I have one more serious question <laughs> before. We can before ask things some, go downhill. Yeah, before, before we lose our Dice Tower Network eligibility. <laughs> um, so recently, again, you talk about relevance, staying in front of the fans, etc. So you've recently launched the Knights of the Stronghold, which is your official demo team. That's um, right. Could you kind of just talk a little bit more about that? I know you're using, is it Envoy, I believe, is the service you're using um, to right. kind of officially launch it. Um, can you just kind of touch on that and how people can get involved in that? Because it, it seems like a pretty professionally run program. I would love to talk about that. Thank you for bringing it up, in fact. Yes, I've always wanted to uh, you know, have a demo team. Now, I've been using the name the Knights of the Stronghold for a few years now because it just sounds so cool. Who doesn't want to be a knight? So you know, I invite people to come help me at conventions to help me run the booth, and we, we reward them in various ways, get them badges, give them games, give them beer in, in the evenings. I've been trying to get Tiffany to help me out. Where do I sign up? What was this? Absolutely. We, we, we do all kinds of things. The BGG Con uh, booth team was awesome, and, uh, and beer was involved. Absolutely. So it's always been part of um, my goal to not only you know use the name, of course, and, and to use it to, to recruit people to help me at conventions, but to, to have an actual demo team. Like, there are many out there that are established. The Mibs from Steve Jackson Games, uh, the Jesters from Queen Games. There's, there's a bunch of them out there, and they're all run in a similar manner. You have people that are out there, you give them games, they demo games, you reward them, they, they move up in the scale, yada, yada. But as a one-man company doing 10 games a year and things like that, I, I just didn't have the time to put that kind of thing together. And I thought I had a, a group that could run it for me, and we talked about it for a while, and it seemed to be happening, but we could never really get it off the ground because there's a lot of work involved in just doing this kind of organization. So I was approached by somebody who I actually know very well. Um, his name is Vinny Salzillo. He runs four conventions a year in New Jersey, and they're the, and they're the biggest conventions within – 100 miles basically of uh, um, of this area 
Um, Dexcon in July, Dreamation in in February are the two biggest ones. Uh, And they are really, really well run. He approached me um, in August and said he was starting this program called Envoy. There are going to be many different levels that you can you can you can get in get in at um, as a company. The smallest levels, the biggest levels. They do all kinds of things for you. Uh, would you like to be involved? And after figuring out how I could do it, how I can how I can make this work for me, uh, for you know, because obviously there's a cost involved with this. Um, I basically said to myself, you know what, betting against Vinny is a bad idea because he always comes through. And he's got people that are so dedicated to working with him and helping him out. I just said, if anybody can do this, he's going to be able to do this. Envoy will be able to do this. So I signed up with Envoy. I was one of the first companies. They've got over 25, 30 companies now at least that have signed up um, with Envoy. We were able to brand it as the Knights of the Stronghold. You know, it's wholly, wholly managed by the Envoy program. But we are, you know, anybody who joins up and wants to do Stronghold games becomes a Knight of the Stronghold. They get their T-shirt. They get games. They're on the hook to to demo a certain amount of games over over the course of a year, and it's not that many. They go to their friendly local game stores. They show up at, the, at conventions and do it. And of course, they earn points for doing this too, and they can spend those points to get other Stronghold games or other games from any of the companies that are part of the program. So it's a win-win for everybody. How can you get involved? How can you get involved, Tiffany? Tiffany, if you wanted to be a Knight of the Stronghold, and you should be, you should go over to the easiest way is hit, hit StrongholdGames.com and hit the link that says Knights. And if you want to go direct to StrongholdGames.com slash Knights with a K, of course, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, and it'll tell you what to do. And you know, you click a link, you, and it'll take you over to Envoy, and you put your name in, and you tell them what you want to do, and and you're signed up. The program itself officially launches on January 1, but all the recruiting is going on now, and people have already been receiving their games, and, and Envoy's going to teach you how to play the game, in fact, if you don't know already. So it is really, really a comprehensive program to bring games out to more people. And in the end, you know, that's what this is about, right? I mean, you know, whoever, whatever demo team you, you, you have out there, you know, any of the ones I mentioned or the ones now in the Envoy program, then, or, you know, the, including the Knights, you want to get games in front of more people. The more people you can do that to, the more people are experiencing games, period, they're going to join the hobby, helping to grow this industry, helping to grow Stronghold, hopefully, in particular, but the industry in general. So I, I wholeheartedly uh, ask anybody who's listening to give this a shot. I mean, just just check it out. I mean, it'll take you 10 minutes to see if it's something you want to do, and it's not going to be a difficult thing. It's not going to be a particularly big time sink, assuming you play games in public areas already, like at, at conventions or at stores, things like that. Uh, maybe meetup groups. Maybe you go to a meetup group. You could do do them there. There, there are ways and, and suggestions on how to do it and how you can get, get your points. It's you know, obviously free to join up. As long as you can present yourself well and you know how to explain a game, they're probably going to accept you. And if you know me, Tiffany. Oh, I was going to say I'm disqualified based on those two criteria. Steve. No, you're automatically in. In fact, when 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 they when they approached me, they said like, so anybody who's already you know you know will just grandfather. I mean, we'll just put them right in. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So Tiffany, Matt, Dan, if you guys want to join, you're you're on board already. I'll put in a good word with the Envoy program. They'll get you right in. Tiff rarely wears anything but pajama pants, though, so I don't know if she can present herself. <sighs> How do you uh, know that? I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm wearing pajama pants right now. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, that sounds very cool, Steve. You sound really passionate about it, so that's it's hard to not be excited hearing you talk about it. 
I haven't noticed I'm pretty damn passionate about my games. Even with this cold and the cough that I have right now, which is straining my throat to no end right now talking. But I am really passionate about games. I'm passionate about my games, of course, even more. And when I've got something that I think is going to be really interesting that could really help the company and the industry you know, with a, with, a, with a group that really has proven themselves in the past in other ways, I think this is going to be something that um, could be really cool for everybody involved. Now, is it when you do sign up, is there a certain certain games you're requiring people to demo or is it kind of which ones are you interested in demoing? You have a choice um, based on the level that I signed up at. Um, there are, I believe, eight games that are in the program, including Kanban and Panamax and Diamonds. A lot of the stuff from this year there, Survive Among the Stars. I, I wanted to pick a mix of, uh, of, of games you know, especially the ones that are hard to uh, to get involved with, like you know, just like here's here, you know, here's a game you know that somebody sees on a shelf. Wow, that sounds like a heavy game. I don't know if I'd be able to learn this game. Well, I put those in the program because now someone will actually be able to teach it to you, and then you're like, wow, this is like deep. This is great. Uh, I'm not sure I got it yet, but I think I love this game. Then they'll go buy the game, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's um, always it's always helpful when someone can show you instead of reading. You know, exactly, especially on those so, big ones and looking at Kanban. <laughs> the different stations on the board, except I think that could be overwhelming to look at it first. Sure. Once someone explains it to you, it seems pretty intuitive. Right, exactly. So that's the kind of thing that we put in there. A lot of the heavy ones, but also some of the nice light ones because I wanted to keep the lines going, like Survive is in there uh, and Diamonds is in there as well. So we've got a, we've got a, nice, a nice mix of games in there. Um, certainly some of the ones that are some of the better selling ones are, are in there, which is, you know, which is good because I want I want those games to continue to thrive over time. So now now we'll just get into the hardcore, hard hitting journalism real quick um, <laughs> before we turn it over to Tiff for the Secret Santa. So I'm dying to know, how does one get Bonacord and also <laughs> the story of you and Tiffany's um, fateful meeting? Our our relationship. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> right, we'll start with the being Bonacord, right? Okay. So that's where our relationship started, Stephen. <laughs> you were maybe you were the first to be Bonacord. I don't. Uh, it wasn't. Co- it wasn't called that then. So let's um let's 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 talk about how that um uh, how that came about at BGGCon just uh like was it three weeks ago at this point. I uh, you know I was there and in full glory of you know, hanging out and having a great time with people. And I saw Stephanie Straw. She was there, and I gave her this big, huge hug, and I kissed her on the cheek, and she said, wait, we have to take a picture of this. Uh, she took a picture of me kissing her on the cheek. She had this really cute smile on. And uh, she tweeted it. She says, I have just been Bonacord. My BGG con can fully commence. From that, that got tweeted around, and then I just started basically kissing Lots of the lovely women that were there. So Rhiannon got Bonacord and Suze Sheldon got Bonacord. Then Tom Vassell kissed me and I have this like this face on that's like 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 this a horror face. So I retweeted that one uh, showing like, see, it's better to be Bonacord than Vassell and things like that. So it just kept <laughs> going and going. And then people and then like people who were not there were posting like like their like um, Anthony Ricano posted a picture of a Muppet kissing him saying Look, I'm being Bonacord too, but I'm not a BGG con and things like that. So <laughs> there was a, it, it just had this like this 
silly little BGG viral thing that went on for a little while. So um, I've been keeping it going because I think it's kind of cute. Um, somebody just did a, these these animated gifs of uh, of me kissing the because we had we had they they grabbed it. Uh, it was the guys from Rolling Dice and Taking Names uh-huh. after after they got their butts kicked in a diamonds game with the two ladies. Um, uh, I I, I kind of ended the segment of you know and said congratulations to them and I gave them a little kiss on the cheek and they took they took the two of those clips they made an animated gif of me over just keeping keep kissing the, the women it was very a silly. loop it was a bonacord loop that's awesome very silly so so how did tiffany and i meet oh. tiffany, you want your version of the story or my version of the story? <laughs> no i think your version's uh, probably the more funny right. version okay yes <laughs> and it's this is a hundred percent accurate by the way there's no embellishment whatsoever she's gonna say it's embellished we'll so see. this is at um let me see now, this is origins two years 2013, ago 2013 right yeah yeah. Right. Origins 2013, a year and a half or so ago. And I'm standing in the booth, as I always do, trying to get people to come and play games with us. And all of a sudden, this nice, attractive woman walks up to me and she goes, <laughs> she goes, oh, my God. And, and I'm, she kind of startles me. She's just staring at me. She goes, oh, my God, that is you're, not you're Stephen Bonacore. I'm like, oh, yeah, Stephen Bonacore, Stronghold Games. I re- reach my hand out to shake hands. She goes, you're gamer royalty. And I was like, uh, 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 th- thank you. That's really nice. Would you like to play some games with us? Okay, so maybe just... we need to go with my version. No, this is exactly <laughs> this what you said. This is not exactly. Word for it, you're a gamer royalty. Which I, I, was very, I was very touched by that. I mean, I certainly don't consider myself this in the slightest. I was like, this is very nice of you. And I think that we did take a picture, like a uh, selfie, or somebody took a picture of us hugging, and maybe I did I kiss you. I, I don't remember. I have Do... several pictures of you from that particular convention, Stephen. But this is the, guys, this is the exact truth. That's what she said. So she then did come into the booth, and she's playing some games. And, of course, what's going through my head is like, oh, I got a date for the night. <laughs> yeah. I swear to you, that's a, hey, I'm a, I'm a lonely single man. I, you know, I, you know, somebody, an attractive woman says something as nice as that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm happy. So she starts playing a game. You know, I, I don't remember what game you were playing. I forgot which one it was. Velospa. Veluspa. She starts playing Veluspa with one of my people there. And I'm hanging around the booth and I'm still like talking to some people, selling games. And I hear like her talking behind me. She goes, and I hear, bah, 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 and my husband, bah, bah, bah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I turn around. I'm like, you're, you're, you're married? She goes, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I was wearing the ring. Well, I wasn't noticing the ring. Well, if you're a single guy, you should be. I'm just saying. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. But, but I was very respectful of the fact that she was married. So therefore, I was like, Crushed my dreams. The beautiful woman has crushed me. So there you go. That you still is the gods. You a beer that night. Very and gracious. Of course I did. I did buy you a beer that night. Yeah. And expected nothing back from it because you were a nice and lovely married lady. So that is the full story, true story of, of how we met. And now Tiffany, like, she's in like rarefied circles of like, you know, geek royalty. She hangs around with like, Stop. you know, all the big players in the podcasting world and, uh, and you know, and, and and other publishers, you know, Kirkman, you know, you know, you got that, you got your now circle that you hang out with. So she doesn't really care about me and hang <laughs> out with me anymore. Ever. That is so not true. You hang out with them much more than you hang out with me now at the conventions. It's because you go to bed at like eight o'clock, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well. I go to bed early, yes, but not quite that early. I have to. <laughs> I, I have to be on in the morning. So. All right. We'll schedule some time. The next convention. Will we have some quality platonic time together? <laughs> of course. Are yeah. you going to Unpub? No. I no. I just <sighs> I can't afford any more conventions. You should have come to BGGCon. All of you should have. It was. It, it is. Remains. 
the best con of the year. It's it's that good. It's to me, it's better than any other con to go to if you want to socialize and you want to game. It's that's all about. It's all about that tremendous huge hall that everyone all basically games together. Plus at night socializing, having having the beers and hanging out in the, in the bar and stuff like that. I I love BGG con. So props to to them for running that great con every every year. Yeah, I had a, I had a ticket this year, but I had to sell it for oh. for personal reasons. But it's on my schedule for next year. Stronghold Games is a sponsor of BGGCon 2014 and will be there for 2015 as a sponsor too. Okay, so now that we've uh, we've had some questions answered by the great Mr. Bonacore and giving us some insight into Stronghold and what they have coming up, uh, we're going to have some fun, and we're going to do what we're calling the Nonsensical Secret Santa. So what we all did was we came up with some fictional characters, so all kinds of people of movies, books, uh, anything, cartoons, whatever we could think of off the top of our heads. They're all random and make no sense. But what we did was we drew them randomly out of the hat, and we're just going to go around and see if we could come up with some game recommendations for these personalities based on whatever criteria we want to pick from that personality. So I will start off with Tiffany, who drew, first off, Bob Ross, the famous painter who loves a happy tree. Who, I would like to point out, is not a fictional character, Dan. He's on DVD. He's fictional. (laughs) He's a real dude. He's on Wikipedia. I did my research. Okay, so they're not all fictional characters. They're just some people that we would rather than be fictional. Uh I'm kidding. All right. I love Bob Ross. Bob Ross is the man. All right. Have you seen those squirrels that he uses for inspiration? Okay, so I did. I picked two games for Bob Ross because I am a very giving Secret Santa. So I thought he would like Tokaido. Because he was a very chill guy after he got out of the Air Force. And uh, he was not into intense things. And he was painting happy trees and trying to relax all the time. And Tokaido is like the chillest game I could think of. Plus, it's beautiful. Yeah, Um, that's a good one. It's got panoramas. He painted panoramas and stuff. See? Should be a Bob Ross edition of Tokaido. There you go. With happy trees. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do I just hear happy trees in the back? Happy trees. It was Spotacore. You have to put a happy tree. He's, he was great. He was, that was amazing. Teacher. I used to watch him with my dad. Anyway. And the other one I decided is because he was very big into mountains, painting mountains. Uh, he spent time in Alaska and was like very inspired by snow and mountains. So I picked Blocky Mountains, which is a game that I think came out maybe at this last Essen. And it's a very interesting kind of puzzly dexterity game where you move this bear on a little like stick over these different blocky obstacles. What's it called again? Blocky Mountains. Blocky Mountains? No, I've never yeah, heard of that one. You've got to look at it. It's really neat. It's like you set up these blocks and these different things, and there are different goals. Like you have to go from this way to this way to this way by doing these things. And then you you have to move different pieces with the either the bear or I think there's a person meeple that you can dangle off of this little stick, and you're moving it through this puzzle. I don't know if it really counts as a board game, but it looks awesome to me. That does look awesome. I'm checking it out right now. Wow. Never cool. heard of it. 
Yeah. I ordered it this morning. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was researching it, and I found that, and I was like, oh, that is so cool. That's a new game, too. It came out this year. Yeah. Impact control, Tiff. I don't have that. It's the holiday season. Somebody could get that for you. You were Who's going to get me Blocky Mountains? No one has ever heard of Blocky well, Mountains. We're not now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stephen, we'll pull you up next. So you okay. Put, you're you're not going to save the best for last? Huh? We've got to keep the audience engaged. <laughs> All right. You can't start with the two best, Dan. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. That's fair. It's going to go downhill quick. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. That's it. <laughs> this person is also not fictional. This person is not. Well, the character is. The character oh. of Hulk Hogan is fictional. Yes. So, Stephen, you got Hulk Hogan. So, what? Hulk if you were, Hogan. If you were going to shop for this crazy man, what would you buy him? Well, yeah, I thought about that. Hulk Hogan. He started out his career as like a bad guy in wrestling, you know, and then and then later on, you know, he 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 became a good guy, and then he became part of like a team of good guys and stuff like that. So I thought of him be, maybe wanting to be in a cooperative game, but it had to be with like like beating the hell out of people in the cooperative game. So where am I going with this? Yeah, I'm going to be self-serving in all my my answers here. I'm going to go with Space Cadets Away missions. I knew it. Yes, you knew it. Because the Space Cadets Way missions, you're working as a team, you know, so a team of wrestlers or a team of space cadets, you know, going on that mission, and you're going to get hordes of bad guys, bad wrestlers or, or green aliens coming at you, and you're going to have to kick their butts over and over to achieve your goal. Nothing could be better for the Hulkamaniacs! <laughs> so there you go. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was bad for my voice. Oh, my God. Don't let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had. I should have put a caveat that they can't be stronghold games. Oh, no. no I knew no. they would be all be stronghold games. Well, I'll come up with something for the next guy that I have here that's both stronghold and not stronghold. But anyway, I would give him <laughs> Space Cadets Away Mission, which is also a very expensive game. So he would be really appreciative of that gift. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's like it's like being in the Royal Rumble, right? You just start throwing aliens off the board, and then that's right. It's exactly what it would be like. <clears throat> All right, Matt, your first one is the lovely Lady Arya Stark from Game of Thrones fame. Yeah, so Arya Stark is she's all about family, but she's all about vengeance. She's got like a mean streak in her. She likes to stab people with a little sword and things like that. So I thought. Something very social, because, you know, she's a socialite from a royal family. I'm going with nothing personal, because this is a game that you can sit around with all the people you don't like and screw them up, and you can win. So it's really the point of the game. Um, Plus, I figured mobsters and kind of that medieval world of Westeros, they're very similar. Families competing, things like that. So I saw a lot of ties, and that's also because... I figured the Game of Thrones board game was low-hanging fruit, and then I probably couldn't do that one. But as a runner-up, I'd get her the Game of Thrones board game, because then she could kill all the people <laughs> that she wanted to kill. It'd be very meta for her, though. But yeah. I, like I like it. All right, and my first one was John McClane, who is a badass. Um, oh. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't. Yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, bleep. Yeah, Yippee-ki-yay, Dice Tower Network. <laughs> <laughs> So I was thinking with John McClane, obviously Die Hard, he needs something epic. He needs something that's just off the wall, components-wise, gameplay-wise, probably takes two to three hours of your life minimum that you'll never get back. 
You but almost die while playing it. Yeah, but you're happy to do it. I couldn't think of any games where you drive a car into a helicopter, but I was thinking um, both Eclipse <laughs> and War of the Ring. So War of the Ring being the old school, not even old school, it's just the classic. What battle is that? Not, I keep getting Battle of Five Armies is obviously its own game. Just War of the, the Ring is just the whole Middle Earth struggle yeah. Yeah. takes you the entire way from the forming of the fellowship to either the dunking of the ring for the free peoples to win yep. or for the final sh- stronghold on middle earth to yep. fall or the annihilation the shadows i don't know if you guys know this it is my single favorite game in the world i i ra- i always talk about this like every time i'm on a podcast I say, what's your favorite game war of the ring without a doubt it is thematically brilliant it is yes. mechanically brilliant and, of course, I had to own the collector's edition, which at the time went for $400. Now you can't, you know, it's way out of print and you can't get it for under $1,500, $2,000. Yeah, so that that was very epic choice. Um, you want to get it for me instead of uh, uh, Mr. McLean, you can. So Okay. Have- <laughs> <laughs> you already have the collector's edition. Stephen Bonacore, John McLean. Yeah, different. sort of the same. Yeah. You're a badass, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. See? How you doing? <laughs> Just need to. You just need to get stronghold wife beater T-shirts. Oh god! You're good to go. We're going to lose that dice tower affiliation right now. I think. That's what put us over the top. The wife beater T-shirts. That's where we crossed the line. Sorry, tank tops. Yeah, and then obviously Eclipse being the uh, the massive space saga that is is still relatively quick, but fits a lot of epic into a little package there. It's not little at all. Um, <laughs> you can yell yippee Kaye during both of those games, so I approve. Yes, you can. All right, so Tiff, your next one, it's Ash, but I don't know, if, is this it's Pokemon Ash? Ash or... <laughs> <laughs> well, I took it as Army of Darkness, Evil Dead Ash. So I would ironically get him some Pokemon decks, <laughs> I think. I don't know if he would get it. <laughs> I'd explain it to him. That's how all the best jokes work, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. So I was thinking I would get him Dungeon Fighter. Dungeon Fighter is like a dungeon crawl, but it's got some silliness to it, which is exactly what I think of when I think of Army of Darkness. In order to make your way through the dungeon, you're bouncing dice off the table, and then there are these different weird monsters that make it harder, like you have to go underneath your leg or all these weird, funky ways of bouncing the dice around. So I thought, monsters, silly, ash. Yeah, you can shoot the dice out of your boomstick. Exactly. Mm, I dig it. All right with that. All right, Steven. No, we'll save Steven for last, so Tiff can not <laughs> yell at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. She'll just yell at me again. Yeah. All right, Matt. Your next one is Uncle Scrooge. Yeah, so I took this as Scrooge McDuck from the Uncle Scroo- Scrooge comic slash... Either one, duck or person form. Well, I'm going duck form. Because so, we all know that Uncle Scrooge is both cheap and rich. He loves money. And he also hangs out with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. So I had to go with a game that fit both sides of the coin there. So I picked For Sale. Because For Sale is, one, a cheap game. Two, very approachable for the youngins. And three, it's all about maximizing your profits. Which Uncle Scrooge loves nothing more than to buy low, sell high. And then swim in those sweet, sweet for sale coins. And then, as, as a secondary mention, maybe get him some campaign coins or something fancy, something metal. Tiff would be my recommendation. She'd help me with that. But, uh, you know, something that he can, has that's tangible. So, that's what I'm thinking. For sale is a great game. Yeah, definitely is. All right, I got, I didn't even know what to do with this one. I got 
Glenda the Good Witch of the North. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were kind to me with the ones I got. So. Yeah. <laughs> they were Thank randomly you. chosen. Who thought of Glenda? Who sub- me. Oh. I did. <laughs> Nobody got all seven of the seven dwarves. <laughs> I know. I was surprised. So I got Glenda, and I don't know. I was thinking she'd want something fantastical. Probably something pink, but that's not... Very common in the board games. That's not even a color in most games, sadly. So I went with Fantastica, the Eagle and Griffin game. It's the uh, deck builder where you're kind of traversing this magical land. So it's a deck building game with a kind of a board element to it. You know, there's different, different spaces that you're moving to, fighting all these crazy creatures. But what's cool about it in Fantastical is that you're using toothbrushes and just random items that are conceived to be weapons in the mind of the player and stuff like that. So I thought that was a, was a good choice. One I don't get to play enough. You didn't go with my Unicorns in the Clouds recommendation. I, yeah, I st- It's pink. Or the My Little Pony CCG. <laughs> I, I couldn't give anyone a game I wouldn't play myself. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so at the... Uh, Request of Tiffany. Steven, you're up last. Last but not least. Yes, definitely not. And you got the great Sherlock Holmes. I which got has Sherlock many games Holmes. made about him already. So Yes. Can't choose those. But cannot choose any of those. Would not choose any of those. He's, he would already have known about those and be able to solve them too quickly. But Of course, the, the operative uh, mechanic of the game would have to be deduction. It would have to be a deduction game. Stronghold Games happens to have two of the best deduction games ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will quickly mention, and then I'll move on to something that's not, because Tiffany has told me I shouldn't. But Code 777 is with the granddaddy of deduction games, and it is completely out of print. And unfortunately, I will not be reprinting it, so you can never be able to get one from me again. I'm sorry. That's a great game. Confusion. That would be a great game for him, where you have to actually try to figure out how to move your pieces. You can see how the other player can move their pieces, but you can't see how you move your own. So by deduction, you have to figure out how to move your pieces to achieve the objective of getting the briefcase onto your one of guys and going to the other side of the board. But we're not going to choose either one of those games. What we're going to choose is the game of Alchemist, the new game by uh-huh. my friends at CGE. Alchemist is truly the next generation of, of board gaming. It melds board games and smartphones and or other, other devices uh, together. In Alchemist, you're an, you're an alchemist and you're trying to... I don't, know the, I don't know everything about the game. But I have not played it yet. But the, the main thing is that you'll be getting uh, cards of different ingredients. And using your smartphone, you'll be able to scan those cards... And it'll tell you whether the result is good or bad. And obviously each game, any given like Eye of Nude and, uh, and Gold Dust, will come out to be a different result. So the game will obviously play differently each time. But everybody, anybody who scans those cards during a given game will have the same result. So it's this beautiful mel- blending of the two things. And there's a deduction element that's involved in the, in the game as well, uh, besides the, the, the elements that I've just mentioned. And it's a beautiful game. And uh, to me, it's like, that, like I said, it's the next generation of, of the way board games are going to start. Start moving in certain instances to meld both physical games and and uh, these devices that we all carry now on our on our hips. You know, you see that also with FFG with XCOM has 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 that uh, has the app associated with it too. So you can see P, there are m- multiple um, companies that are, that are doing this as well. So that's the game that I would give to Sherlock, and he'll he'd appreciate it with you know use because he can use the newfangled tech as well. Excellent. Yeah, that's the number one game on my wish list right now. He I'm, looks so pained. I'm so sad <laughs> when you said that. I was like, oh. I really want that game. 
I just can't bring myself to pay like $130 to ship it from Germany right now. So rumor has it that CG is going to have it available this month. It will be here soon. Fingers crossed. So, okay. Well, that's that's our quick little secret Santa. So thank you, everyone, for those crazy recommendations. Glenda. Good God. You're <laughs> welcome. I wanted to stretch you a little bit, you know? Some Break of these are show. easy. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a true friend. Tiffany, the evil witch of the South. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you guys are, you I guys like are it. bitter today. I like it. I'm rubbing off on them. Yeah. I guess so. We better right. sign off soon before it gets ugly. <laughs> so before we let you go, Stephen, is there anything you want to a plug? Website, your Twitter, any obviously your Kickstarter's launching soon, so... Feel free. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign off with the, my usual stuff. Um, you know, if you want to find out what's happening in Stronghold Games, sign up for my newsletter, which you can do right on the website or on the right side there. We don't spam you. You get like one a month, just slightly more than that during the, the big time of the year when we're releasing lots of games. Follow me on Twitter, at Stronghold Games. Facebook page is Facebook slash Stronghold Games. I didn't mention the website, but the website obviously is StrongholdGames.com. Sign up for the Knights if you want to, you know, get involved with that because it's going to be a great program, strongholdgames.com slash Knights. And yes, the Kickstarter is going to start just after this podcast drops, it sounds like, for the big plastics game, Space Cadets Away Missions, third game in the Space Cadets lineup featuring not only the great those great miniatures that I'm mentioning, but other great components and fantastic gameplay. If you've followed the, um, the progression of Space Cadets, this is a appropriate one to be next in the line. And I think that you're going to love the game, and uh, and it is it is truly blinged out to to its max if we uh, if we fu- fund at the uh, levels that we hope to certainly do. So thank you all, thank you guys for having me on. This has been great. I hope uh, hope I've uh, helped your listeners enjoy themselves, and hope I've added a little bit to the show for you. Well, we had a fantastic time, so thank you for joining us. Look all forward right. to doing it again sometime. Let's hang out at a convention, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get my calendar out. We can book the first evening, early evening of Origins. <laughs> I do have to have dinner, you know, so there's yeah, that time. Yeah. Okay. We'll have dinner. There you go. All right, guys, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. you. Thanks. All right, so that is a wrap on episode 12 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you again to Stephen Monaco for joining us. And we can go ahead and do a little sign-off. So, Tiff, if somebody wanted to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they find you? I am at IneptGamer. And Dan? Screw the internet. <laughs> <laughs> He's off the grid. At League Nonsense, I, I usually am found on the League's handle, as well as my personal one, which is at Scandalous underscore N-A-D. Nad. Yep. And you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. Good luck with that. Um, also, be sure to reach out to us on social media. Uh, Twitter, like Dan said, at League Nonsense is the the page handle. Facebook, the League of Nonsensical Gamers. The email, podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. The BGG Guild, number 2077. And be sure to go ahead and listen to the Winter Giveaway Minisode if you haven't yet. There's a copy of Medina, one of Stronghold's new games. And a copy of La Isla, up for grabs. And they're very easy to enter. So go ahead and give that a listen. And thanks. All right, everyone can say goodbye now. Bye. Peace. Bye.
<laughs> We've been through 12 podcasts together. I figure I was okay to comment on your pajama pants. No, you're fine. I, I really often do wear them when we're podcasting, so... I wore. I showed up in pajama pants They're... yesterday. Like I went out of the house and traveled in pajama wow. pants. Wow! Wow! He that's... looked like he was going to Walmart. <laughs> and I was also wearing a knit hat that's in the shape of the alien from Toy Story. So wow! Looking that's my special. best. That's special. I don't know if you're going to be able to become a knight of the stronghold. 